We're in week three of a series that we're calling Leave It Better Than You Found It. Now let me give you a little bit of a, uh, a, a warning about today. <clears throat> this is going to be kind of intense. So during the week I said, hey, could you please install uh, seat belts on every seat? So if you'll reach down right now and get the seat belt that's down. No one's actually doing that. I'm kidding. I, I, but it is going to be intense. So I want you to buckle up. Uh, I'm going to ask a lot of you today, but I'm also going to um, I'm going to also uh, pray for you in, in a kind of a unique way during the message in, in a way we really haven't done before uh, because I, I, I want you to hear what God's spirit would say to you today about you and about who we are as a church. It's really important to hear this today. It's really intense. Next week's going to be fun. So if you go, oh, that was too intense. Is the next, no, next week's going to be fun. Uh, and then it's Easter Sunday. And, um, but this is, this is a, crucial, uh, a crucial moment for us as a church. I want to invite you to stand with me. It's our practice to read out of the scriptures together. And I'm going to read uh, from Paul's letter to the Ephesians. I'm going to read it out of what's known as the Message Translation. This was a, a pastor by the name of Eugene Peterson. I think in the 1960s or so, people had a hard time reading the Bible. And people in his congregation had a hard time. And so he said, you know what, I'm going to try and translate the scriptures in everyday language. And so uh, that became what we call the Message Bible, out of the work of a pastor trying to help his congregation read the scriptures. And so I'm going to read it out of the message. So if it sounds a little different to you, that's why. Here's what Paul says to you and me. As you've read over and over what I've written to you, you'll be able to see for yourselves into the mystery of Christ. None of our ancestors understood this. Only in our time has it been made clear by God's spirit through his holy apostles and prophets of this new order. The mystery is that people who have never heard of God and those who have heard of him all their lives, what I've been calling outsiders and insiders, listen, stand on the same ground before God. They get the same offer, same help, same promises in Christ Jesus. The message is accessible and welcoming to everyone across the board. And so here I am, preaching and writing about things that are way over my head. I can say amen to that because I get it. The inexhaustible riches and generosity of Christ. My task is to bring out in the open and make plain what God, who created all this in the first place, has been doing in secret and behind the scenes all along. This is the verse we're going to focus on. Through followers of Jesus like yourselves gathered in churches, this extraordinary plan of God is becoming known and talked about even among the angels. This is the word of the Lord. Thank you for standing out of respect for God's word. Uh, this, this idea of leaving things better than you found it is actually a great approach to life. Uh, think about your job if you left your job better than you found it. Think about retirement. If you're retired, think about if you left your retirement better than you found it. It's a great way to think about a marriage. Think about, you know, God didn't put me here with this person that drives me nuts half the time. Just to take something from them. God put me with them to leave them better than I found them. You take just that. That'll change your entire marriage. Your job, if you have kids, is to leave your kids better than you found them. I know you want to kill them sometimes. <laughs> Resist that urge. Leave them better than you found them. If you went to school, if you're in school, what if you left your school better than you found it? Like, oh, I remember when she came and she was in our school. It was better because she was here. 
uh, you're going to face trouble. If you, if you try to approach life in this way, you're going to face trouble, and, and you're going to have to fight temptations that are about you taking from life and not giving. There, there needs to be give and take, but you, you'll face the temptation of just taking and not giving. But this is actually a very Christ-like way to approach life. Just ask, this is a rhetorical question. Did Jesus leave people better than he found them? So if you did that, you would be living in a Christ-like way. That's kind of the heart of what we've been talking about in this message. Now, Jesus fought the temptation to take, and he gave. We'll talk about you doing that today. Uh, if, if this, is a, this is an incredibly powerful way to approach your life, and it will make you more like Christ. So what we've been trying to do in the series is help you do a few of those things. So Reed, done, Reed has done a fantastic job the last two weeks uh, talking about you. Like, you need to leave you better than you found you. You need to change your mindset from a fixed mindset to, I can grow. God has something for me in the future. We often overlook ourselves. But you need to leave you better than you found you. And then last week talked about your finances. I mean, hello, if your money is not in order, then you're under constant stress and you can't live and give like a Christ follower can live and give if you don't deal with your money. So that's actually a very, very spiritual topic to talk uh, about money. And Reed just did such a great job. Job, I want to brag on all of our staff. We have a fantastic staff uh, who do a, a killer job with way less resources than a church our size normally has. They, they, on a shoestring pull off things that are amazing. I'm proud of every single one of them. You need to pat them on the back. Yep. You need to pat them on the back. And you need to love them and you need to encourage them because it's hard. Ministry is hard. It's hard work. You may go, oh, you just work one day a week. Just come do what I do for a week and you will see, okay? Uh, (laughs) I'll trade jobs with you. That'd be great. Uh, But today we're going to talk about you leaving your church better than you found it. In 2050, I, I, I don't know how people see into the future like they do, but the prediction is that this region, uh, kind of from Chicago, where we are across northern Indiana and into Michigan, all the way to Detroit, is what they're predicting will become the largest mega region in our country. There'll be more people moving here. We're cheaper to live than uh, Illinois, so people are, a lot of people are moving over from Illinois to Indiana, but they're predicting actually an incredible amount of growth. That's 30 years from now. Think, think with me for a second. In 30 years, you and I, most of us in this room, uh, we're either going to be dead, <laughs> really old and tired and not able to do much, <laughs> or if you're really young, you're going to finally be uh, like middle-aged. It's coming for you if you're young. I'm just, just telling you right now. In 30 years, but here's my question, and, and it'll be, it seems so long, but it'll also be here in a blink, and here is my question, what kind of church are we going to build for them? What are we going to do? Are we going to leave this church better than we found it? Because that's coming, that generation is coming, they, they don't know what's going to hit them. But we can give them a gift that prepares them and sets them up for success. 
Well, that kind of begs the question, what in the world is the church? Now, there was this, this old thing I used to do as a kid um, that would be like this. Like, we would do this little thing. We would go, here's the church. Here's the steeple. Open the doors. See all the people. You know, do you, some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. It was kind of weird. Uh, but we did this, this thing. But here's, here's, what, here's what that communicated. It located the church as the building. And, and I understand why uh, we said that and why people think that, but it's actually very misleading because when you think about the church as a building or a time during the week that you show up for something, what it does for you is it allows you to, to compartmentalize your life and faith becomes a thing that you do when you're in that place. Think about a, if I had a wheel, if you could just imagine with me that I had a, a bicycle wheel, you know? And the hub is what everything spins around and you have all the spokes. Thinking about the church in that way, what it does, it relegates faith and, and God's people to one of the spokes instead of making it the hub around which everything spins. Do you see the fundamental difference? Because I cannot care. I cannot care if the spoke is there because the wheel can still spin. But it's a fundamental question you have to ask yourself. What's at the hub of your life? I, I'm trying to say to you, out of God's word, that what's meant to be the hub of your life is Jesus Christ and his people. That's supposed to be the hub that everything spins around, not something else that really you could do without. <laughs> and, and I promise you that your life will never change. Faith will never make a difference to you if that's how you approach it. If it's just a compartment. It'll never, I, I know people all the time who come to the church and they try it out. You know, they try, I'm gonna, but then they say, well, you know, it doesn't work. Well, the reason it doesn't work is you just treated it like it was just one of the spokes. And it didn't work for you. When you make it the hub of your life, it changes everything. So the church, the word that we get for, or for the English word church is from a Greek word, uh, and the Greek word is ekklesia. I think we have it on the screen for you, and if you've got notes, you can write that in. Ekklesia, it's a, it's a, uh, a word, it's two Greek words that are put together that mean uh, to be called out. So the church is the called out ones. What are you called out of? Well, First Peter tells us what we're called out of. Listen, this is very important. I want you to see what Peter says. He says, but you are a what? Chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, God's special possession that you may declare the praises of him who what? Read that, say that phrase. Who called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. That's what you're called out of. Now, darkness for us isn't really darkness. In, in the day that Paul wrote this, when it was dark, it was dark. Uh, there was no cell phone to turn on and not stub your toe on the bed. Uh, if you had a candle, you maybe forgot it across the room or a lantern of some sort, and maybe you didn't have the oil to turn it on, you know, you... you there was no light switch. Dark was dark, and you couldn't see nothing in the dark. Now, it's not dark like that for us, because we've got all kinds of ambient lights and alarm clocks and all this kind of stuff that happens. But Paul is really here using a metaphor, and he's saying that darkness is where you cannot see. He's saying that darkness is a cover for people who have hurt you. They did it under the cover of darkness when no one could see. Uh, it's a cover for you to not be found out. Because like, all, the, all the terrible things happen in the dark. 
in that day. They still kind of happen in that day, but again, darkness is a different reality for us. So the church is people then who now see, because we're called out of the darkness. Now we're the people who are healing from hurt. And then we're the people who have admitted that we were in the wrong. Yeah, we got some things wrong. We did it wrong. And we need God's help to do it different. You were called. So now I, now I belong to God and I'm declaring the praises of God. So the church is not a place I go. It's people I belong to. This is my favorite definition of the church. Uh, we've put it on the screen for you. You can write it in your notes as well. The church is God's people on God's mission for the world God loves. The church is God's people on God's mission for the world God loves. So I, here, here's what I know. I can go anywhere in the world, literally. I can walk into a church building. I can tell them who I am. I can tell them where I'm from. And I have an instant family. In a couple weeks on Easter Sunday, we're going to have Wellington Obote. Wellington Obote is the director of the Church of the Nazarene in Malawi, where we've sent money and built a couple of wells. He's going to be here. His son happens to live in Chicago, and he happens to be here. And so we're going to drive over on Saturday and bring him over here. And uh, he's going to be with us here on Sunday and share some of what you've done in in Malawi and helping them. But he's part of our family. See, we're we're part of this global family because the church is God's people on God's mission for the world that God loves so much. When when I was in Dallas... uh, this last week with my dad, or the week before with my dad, thank you so much for praying for me. It was a, a, a sweet time, bittersweet time. But while we were there, the, um, they've lived in this house for 20-some odd years, and I, I, we were sitting at the table one day, and I looked up at the cabinets, and the cabinet was coming off the wall like this. And I said, this is not good. This could fall on you. I can fix it. And they said, oh, no, no, we've called somebody in the church, and they're coming to help. And so someone from the church a person who belonged, was one of God's people, came in together, he and I, put the cabinet back up on the wall. Because we're part of this big family. <laughs> but, but here's, that kind of family, that kind of mission, that kind of, it, it does not happen by accident for God's people to thrive doing God's mission. There have to be committed people who go, I'm gonna leave this better than I found it. They have to say something like, this is my church, I love it, I'll do whatever has to be done to ensure it's here and reaching the next generation. That that kind of thought has to resonate in the hearts of somebody. Can't just be the pastor. Or we don't leave anything for the next generation. There's nothing here. So Paul gives us this window and he says this mystery has happened and uh, in, in the, the message version, you know, through followers of Jesus like yourselves gathered in churches, this extraordinary plan of God. The, the, the NIV reads a little differently, I think we've got that on the screen as well, is that God's intent was that now through the church, God's people, the manifold wisdom of God, the, the many faceted wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. Here, here's, what, here's what Paul's trying to unpack for us about the church. He says there's this mystery that's hidden for ages, and honestly, I think it's still hidden, and, and the way he phrases it is, how in the world can outsiders and insiders ever really get along? Is that even possible when you have fundamental differences with people? Like you're a Democrat and they're a Republican. Like can, can, that, can those people ever see eye to eye? 
Like you're super educated and, and, someone else, and someone else is not super educated or you're not super educated and someone else is. Can you those people ever get along? Could someone from the union and someone from management love each other and share each other and, and speak well of each other? Is that even possible? Now we feel that because we go, well, no, not really. <laughs> and, and Paul says, no, no, you don't understand God's plan. God's plan is that now through the church, the, the multifaceted wisdom of God would be made known and we would find out that it is possible under God's power when you live a different way. And so his example is Jews and Gentiles. Now, uh, this is Paul talking. He's basically saying, who's weirder than Jews? I've got a picture here of some, uh, some modern-day um, Jewish folks, and they are teaching their sons the Torah, and they're wearing on their heads what are called phylacteries. They take this from the Old Testament, that you're to uh, keep the scriptures on your, on your forehead and on your hand, and so they have this thing called a phylactery. They have little pe- copies of the scriptures in them as a way to take that literally, and they, uh, they, they keep weird Sabbath laws. You know, they don't, I can only travel so far on a Saturday. Their diet is a certain way. Uh, they wear these weird tassels. You've seen Jewish folks before with the, the yarmulkes, and, and, and Paul's like, who's weirder than that? I'm not, and I don't mean that negatively. I'm just, he's just saying, that, that's weird, right? And then at the same time, he says, and who's crazier than Gentiles? Because he's painting a contrast. Like the people who do whatever with whoever. Like here's some people that, in contrast, right? <laughs> what if somebody from the Gentile world went to marry someone? It's like a marriage, right? You, someone from that world went to marry someone from the Jewish world. All of us, would, you, you've seen someone get married that you know that these people should never get together, right? And you see a, you see a train wreck coming a mile away. Like, don't do it. No! Ah, uh-uh, no, 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 no. That's not going to work. That, that's what Paul's saying. It's not possible. We don't, we don't see how it could possibly be possible that people from different backgrounds and experiences and social statuses could get along. Except, Paul says, now God has revealed his plan. And what he is doing is now through the church, through you and me, the people of God, on God's mission for the world that God loves. We're making it happen. So, see, I, I know a lot about you that you um, don't know that I know about everybody. <laughs> and so I, I sometimes see someone who's made millions of dollars in their business talking to someone who's been in prison for 30 years. You don't know that's happening, but I watch it and I go, oh, wow, only through the church. I see someone who grew up uh, white and understanding that white is everything and no understanding of someone who's different, black, maybe Hispanic, and I, I see them talk, and I see them become friends, and I go, oh, wow, only through the church. I, I see someone that's uh, incredibly educated and has a PhD talking to someone who can barely put a sentence together and then becoming friends, and I go, oh, wow, only through the church. There's, there's no other institution, organization, group that has that as its mission. There isn't one that exists on planet Earth. But now, through the church, the manifold wisdom of God is being made known. So you and I then have to be the church that Jesus envisioned. We, we have to do it. It's up to us. If you've been around here, you've heard us talk about um, our vision as a church. Is, is, uh, we, we encapsulated in that phrase, for the region. We want to be for, for the region. We want to make it better. Uh, but one of the ways we, ta- we make that tangible is we say, you know, there are 654,000 or so people in 
Lake and Porter counties, and what if we helped to make disciples of 1% of that number, so 6,540 people, and, and of, that, those, of that 654,000 people, 75% of those people are really not connected to any church, so let's be a church for them, and let's reach them, let's teach them to live in a different way, because we live in, I don't know if you know this, I, I've lived all over the place, we live in a, a challenging area of the country. This is, there are what I call region killers that I've observed that I think are just kicking the snot out of people's lives. And there's no organization that's going, you know what, we're going to step in and try and fix that other than the church. Now, here's, here's, what, here's what I see the region killers to be. We're going to put these on the screen. And they're all related to what, uh, what people believe in their hearts about themselves and about possibilities. The, the first one is addiction. And I think at the root of addiction is the lack of belief in a better future. Like, it's just not going to get better, so might as well just numb out. And it's a huge problem for us. You know someone if, who is not either directly related to you, um, they are one, one iteration of a relationship away from you. You know someone who's an addict. Dealt this week with somebody going through addiction and the aftermath of all that comes with that. But fundamentally, it's the belief there's not a better future. This is it. Uh, the second thing is marriage, and let me hang with me because I don't mean if you're, if you're married, you're somehow less than, or if you stay single, you're somehow, I don't mean it that way, but what's behind the fact that so few people stay married is a lack of belief that you can actually sustain a relationship and work through the, the yuck to something better on the other side. So whether or not you get married, there's this, oh, that person's out to get me, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to leave before they get me. It's a killer. What a horrible way to have to approach life. Like, I better bail because they'll hurt me. I don't have the resources to stay and make it work. I got, I'm done. I'm out. Third one that I see is uh, people living with a lack of purpose in the region. It's a region killer. And, and it's the lack of belief that you can actually count and that your life actually matters. So here again, Paul, God's intent in the middle of that is that now through the church, something would be done about that. So in the next three years, we want to baptize 600 people. You know what happens when someone gets dunked in the water? They've discovered that through Jesus Christ, there is a better future. We'd love to worship with 2,000 of those people. You know what happens when you come into a room like this and you gather with other uh, Christians and you, and you start moving your life in the direction of God? What happens is you begin to see there is a God and he, God made me. He loves me. He has a plan for me. I count. And then we'd love to start 150 life groups. We've got uh, uh, close to 20 that are happening right now. And, and when you get into a little laboratory where you have relationships, what you, have, what you find out is that you can actually sustain a relationship. And when it gets kind of ugly and scary, you don't have to quit. 
And this will only happen if there are people who say with their lives and actions, this is my church, I love it, I'll do whatever has to be done to ensure it's here and reaching the next generation. It's the only way it happens. Strongest, uh, maybe you don't know this, the strongest geometric shape, and it gets used in um, all kinds of uh, construction material, uh, bridges and whatnot, is uh, the triangle. Did you know that? It's the most stable. And so here's, here's three, uh, three sides of a strong and healthy church. Okay, I'm going to write these things up here, and you can put them, um, it's, one is passionate spirituality. We're going to put this on the screen because my handwriting is like a doctor or worse. Uh, passionate spirituality. Uh, radical community. I'm going to talk about these in just a second here. Radical community. And then people who have a deep sense of ownership of the mission that God has given the church to be a place of reconciliation. And a church that does these three things, find any strong and healthy church, you will always find these three things in place. A passionate spirituality. You can feel there's a connection to God. We love God together. You can hear it in the way people sing. You can hear it in the conversations. You can feel it in your bones because there's a, a passionate sense of spirit. People aren't just in this as they're checking off, oh, I went to church this week. Meh. It's passion. And then there's a, a radical sense of community. People are deeply committed to one another. And then there's a deep ownership of the mission on two fronts. Number one, people know that other people need to know Christ and they need their, loves change, their lives changed by the love of God. And so we actually believe as a church, we believe in conversion. We believe that people need a change, a radical, supernatural change in their life that's only possible by the grace of God. And so that conversion is important. It needs to be regular and normal. I don't mean weird. Just important regular and normal and then that's one part of the mission the other is that we're committed to meeting people's needs that's why we do all the things we do all the time that's why we do a back to school fair that's why we're having an easter egg hunt so people go oh that place is safe those are people who are not weird i could i could show up there if i was looking for god that'd be all right and there has to be people who say this is my church i love it i'll do whatever has to be done to ensure it's here and reaching the next generation Have you ever heard of the Pareto Principle? A guy named Pareto. I think he's Italian. Let's just say he is because that sounds like Italian. Uh, this is what he said. He said uh, he's a, he kind of studied how, how human beings operate, and he said uh, 80% of your results will almost always come from 20% of your energy. Think about your life. It's actually fundamentally true. Uh, if you are, are someone who works out and you try to be healthy and you go three, four, five times a week and you go for, say, an hour at a time, let's say it's three, let's say you spend four hours a week, I kind of calculated this, uh, 168 hours a week, four hours of the week, you know, you know what percentage of your life you're giving to working out? Two. If you invest 2% of your time, you get a massive return on the other side. Think about it. those of you who are trying to eat better and you're, you're struggling with that and you're like, how do I do that? What do you do? You eat maybe for what? Literally eat for an hour a day? Is that about right? Uh, total? I don't, if you eat longer than that, let's talk afterwards. I guess you got problems. I don't, I don't know. It's an, hour, it's an hour a day, right? That's an hour a day is 0.5% of your time. Think about it like that. Actually, the problem gets a lot smaller, right? If you could invest 0.5% of your time, you'd get a, a small investment, huge return. That's the Pareto principle. 
The same thing is true in your relationship with God. You have to make a small investment in each of these things. And what happens is you get a huge return on the other side. So I'm going to show you some simple ways that you can do each of these three things. I'm going to pray for you over each of them as we go through them. And then we're going to be done. Okay? Can you handle that? It's going to be a little bit painful though, I promise. You're welcome in advance. I, 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 I think in, I breathe uh, church, you know, it's my job, I love it, I love what I do as a pastor, I love being your pastor, I, I, so I sleep, I eat and sleep this, so there's just all these things I read all the time and talk to people all the time about how, to, how do you make a church work, what do you do better, and, uh, but just you need to know some facts about church life. In, in the life of our church, in a month, there's a thousand plus people who will come at least one Point two times is the, the statistic today in, in North America, uh, and show up in this, this room. Thousand plus people. They don't all come every week uh, because the average attendance is 1.2 times a month. That's average in America. So if you're here 1.2 times a month, you are normal. <laughs> uh, now, when I was growing up, some of you, you were growing up too, uh, it was a totally different thing. Um, we, we, I, I grew up, before I was born, I was in church on Sunday morning, Sunday night, there was a service on Wednesday night, twice a week was a week-long revival service, there was VBS in the summer, we're doing a camp in the summer for kids, by the way, Kids Adventure Camp of VBS, uh, there was summer camp, there were work days to come work on the building and clean it, and I mean, I lived, I, I lived and breathed going to the church. Now, it's if you're here 15 or 20 times a year, I might be at the church 15 or 20 times a week. <laughs> growing up. Now, you know, 1.2, I'm not throwing stones, I'm just saying that's current reality. So you got to hear it in, in context of that. And the average church in America, through attrition, loses 10% of the people who say, that's my church. Either people get sick and they can't come, they move out of state or too far away, or they die. So for a church just to stay the same, the same number from year to year, that means that you're actually growing. You see what I'm saying? You see, you lose 10%, you replace the 10%, you stay the same. And, and so you have to, if you want to grow, you want to see numeric growth in the number of people who show up in a room like this, then what you have to do is you have to grow by more than 10% a year. So you got to grow by 20% in a year and you'll have 10% growth. Does the math all make sense? Are you tracking with me? And honestly, this has been a really tough season for us. The last 18 months or so as a church, uh, several staff members have, have moved on. And, and church world is not like business world. In business, when you make some kind of change, people go, you know, it's business. This is what it is. You got to do that. In church world, people are attached to people and leaders like they are to a string. And so if you cut the string, if the person has not made a deeper commitment to the mission of the church, then they go, I'm out. My dude's not here. I'm out. My chick, she's not here. I'm out. And uh, so we've, we've gone through some really challenging times, and we're in the process of hiring a new arts pastor, just by the way, if you didn't know that. Um, so that's some background, okay? But I, I want you to have passion and spirituality. Let me, give you, um, let me give you two ways that you're gonna need to do that, okay? One of them is very personal. One of them is that you have to do together. Uh, the, the thing that you have to do uh, together is like this, you come to a room like this, you, you worship corporately. I, I want to give you um, a word to think about what happens in here and why this is an important thing, uh, because I hope you have a reason for it. I, I'm going to say the word is lift. When you come to worship, you want to be lifted. So let me give you a little acrostic on the word lift. I'm going to go through it really fast. Number one, you come because you want to realize that the Lone Ranger is not here anymore, right? The Lone Ranger be gone. I understand if you're younger, you're like, who's the Lone Ranger? <laughs> uh, 
Uh, ask your parents. The Lone Ranger had Tonto, right? You find out that you're not alone. Here's, that's my point. The, the writer to Hebrews said, let us consider how we may spur one another on to love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together. I, I was talking to someone at a funeral one day, and uh, they said, yeah, I've, I was a part of real life for a long time. I haven't been there a long time. And they said something, just stick with me. They said, you know, uh, when you're in the practice of being here on a weekly basis, it's easy to be here. But when you get out of the practice of being here on a weekly basis, it's easy not to be here. I went, oh, that makes sense. But, but when you come, you find out, I'm not alone. I'm not the only one. Second is you learn to internalize your faith. You're, you're prioritizing God in your calendar. You're Pareto-ing your calendar. You're, you're saying, okay, yeah, God's a, a priority in my calendar. That's, when you do that, that's called worship. And Jesus said that we're to worship the Lord your God and we're to serve him only. That's a fundamental fact of our life. We're to worship God. Third thing is we're to fix our, we fix our attention on God without distraction. There's all kinds of articles being written about how we are totally distracted. Uh, you're like me. I sit and I watch TV and I've got my phone at the same time. So I've, I've put on movies and paid for a pay-per-view movie and watched it. And then I'm looking at Twitter while I'm doing it. And I just paid like six bucks to watch a movie I didn't really watch. Is anyone else like that or is it, am I just weird? I think it's pretty much all of us to a degree. Is there a place you go and for a sacred hour you focus your attention on God with no distractions? This is it. Fix your attention on God without distraction, then you take hold of your roots. James said, therefore, get rid of all moral filth and the evil that is so prevalent and humbly accept the word planted in you which can save you. Now you go, well, but, but going to church, going to a church service doesn't make you a Christian. You're exactly right. It does not. Any more than going to Wendy's makes you a hamburger. <laughs> but if you go to Wendy's and you internalize what is offered there, it can sustain you. So that's a, you got to have a corporate practice every week. Like I look forward to this. Every week. Then personally, you've got to read the scripture and you've got to pray. I've been reading through Psalm 119, and it's a really long psalm. And one of the refrains in it is, your word, O Lord, stands firm in the heavens. And he's, he's saying that God's word is what sustains everything. And I had a moment. I was walking in the church office, and I looked up. The sky was blue, and the trees were budding. And I'm like, at the, at the word of the Lord, those trees just know how to bloom. Scientists cannot explain that. It's beautiful. How do the birds know how to return from the north? How do they know how to get back to where? Your word, Lord, stands firm in the heavens. That comes from a personal, everyday interaction with God where I'm worshiping God every day. So, um, those two things, they fuel a passionate spirituality. So I'm going to pause. I'm going to pray, okay? Would you pray with me? We're gonna, we've got a couple more things we're going to talk about. We're going to go over a little bit. Hang with me. God, there are some of us that are in this room and we do not know that we count. I pray for my brother or my sister here today who is not aware that there is a God who made them, or at least they don't feel like you're close. And they need to hear and feel your presence. And, and honestly, God, some of us in the room, our, our love for you has grown cold. It's a, you're a spoke on our wheel. And we're wondering why it doesn't really work. 
We've never really made you the hub. And so we need to change our thinking. We want to have passionate spirituality. We don't want to check a box. We don't want to go through motions. We want to have the real thing. So thank you that your presence is here to minister to us. I pray this in your name. Okay? We're going to go a little long. Hang with me, okay? Second thing, if you want to have radical community, is that you've got to be in relationship with other people. And, and you can only love your neighbor if you're around your neighbor. If I told my wife, I love you, but I never spent time with you, I don't actually love her. <laughs> I have an emotion I feel, but I'm not actually loving her. And so uh, I, I think one of the ways you can stoke radical community is you can be in a life group. Now, a lot of them are starting today, and you may need to go find someone who's a life group leader and, and say, can you make room for me? And some of you that are in a life group this time around, you need to be thinking, hey, we didn't make it possible for more people to experience this. I'll lead one of these the next time we, we launch these in, in, uh, in the fall, and I'll, I'll do that. Notice what the, the early Christians did. This is from Acts chapter 2. They broke bread in their homes. They ate together with glad and sincere hearts and praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. They were, uh, they were close to each other. And so they found out that they belonged to some other people. And if you just show up in a room like this, you'll never feel like you belong. That's why we have life groups, so you can feel like, I belong to somebody. These are some of the things people said about their life group, uh, um, a real-life life group. Uh, I love connecting with people from various walks of life and developing a relationship with them. It's priceless, the support and guidance they've provided me. Someone else said, developing relationships with people who will encourage you and help you grow closer to God means so much to me. Someone else, discovering how similar we all are and how we all go through the, kind of the same things in life, knowing we have more people to lean on for support during tough times. Someone else, I like being able to weekly discuss God's word and apply it to our everyday lives. Someone else, I can share what's going on in my life and know the people in my group will pray for me and they never judge. Man, that's how you, you begin to find out that you belong. Now, if you, you say, I don't, I, don't, I don't belong to anybody, well, I just would challenge you to go have a meal with somebody. Take a risk. Begin to get to know somebody. Now, let's, let's Pareto both of the things we've just talked about. If you spent an hour in corporate worship a week, and then you spent, say, 15 minutes a day in the morning stoking your relation, the fire of your relationship with God, that's about 1.8% of your week. Prioritizing God in your calendar, 1.8%, massive upside. If you were with in a, in a life group and you, you find out that in a life group you can sustain a relationship, then that's about two hours or so a week. That's 1.2% of your week. If you could invest 1.2% of your week and find out that you belong to people, would you do that? Let me, let me pray for some of you, okay? Pause, and we're going to get one more thing we're going to talk about. God, I know that in this room there are people who are hurting over the fact that relationships in their past or maybe at this very present moment, just have not worked. They haven't had the skills to know how to resolve hurt. They're still holding on to bitterness. I know, God, I know you don't want that for us. I pray for them that they would lay down the weapons they've been using to defend themselves and in, in, a, in the safety of a family who's committed, a church family who's committed to following you and doing everything you said is best they would find radical community. And you would even now begin to heal that wound as they take a risk in your name. Last thing, deep ownership of the mission. Three ways, very quickly, okay? Number one, you're gonna have to share your resources. I, I find, and this is gonna be hard, okay? You're not gonna like me, don't care. 
<laughs> Love you, don't care. Uh, I find all the time Christians who spend a stupid amount of money on hobbies and that they love. There's nothing wrong with hobbies. I have hobbies. I have, I have woodworking stuff. I have saws. That I've, collected. I've got a whole little shop. Not, it's not amazing, but I've, got a, I've collected over 20 years of, of stuff. Nothing wrong with hobbies. But I know people who spend that. They spend it on boats. They go on vacations. And they give jack squat to the mission of God. I mean, nothing. Again, nothing wrong with doing any of those things. I want you to, I want you to have a life you enjoy but if we're going to be a church that's here for the next generation, then if we don't share our resources, we don't share our money, how does this work? Did you know the average church in America, you're not going to like this, I don't, I don't care. Uh, you're not, the average church in America, the, the average, if you take a family, you know, four people, they give, you know, about $1,600 per person in their family to the church. You know what our average is? It's just below $1,000. So we are always, listen. Anytime you want to look at our finances, we practice transparency. You can look at anything you want. We will not hide anything from you. You can see how the money gets spent. You can see where it goes. Not a problem. You just ask. But we struggle with resources all the time. There's things we want to do. We want to put a new sign out front and recarpet the lobby and get rid of the weird orange carpet. And we need to hire an arts pastor. I'm not quite sure we can actually afford it. We need a communications person in the, in the 21st century who helps us do digital stuff. Where like all the staff is just tapped because we don't have the resources. I'm not trying to kill you. I'm just I'm telling you, it's our job. It's like it's us, right? My family does this. We we give. I want you to experience every Christian I know that is a mature Christian who's experiencing everything that God has for them. They're a giver. They tithe. Here's how Malachi says it in the Old Testament. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. A tithe is a tenth. My family does this. Many of you do this. Thank you. This is the only promise in Scripture God says to test him. Test me in this, says the Lord Almighty, and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will not be room enough to store it. Test God. Give and then test God. God said you're to test him in this. So you got to share your resources. you got to share your faith. you got to believe there's something better for people. You have faith in their future with Jesus guiding it. And you know that when someone begins to follow Jesus, there's the start of supernatural change in that person's life. Uh, do you know how to do that? Do you know how to share your faith? I'm not talking about having a sales pitch. Like anything you love, you tell people about. If Jesus is making a difference. Don't be weird. Just tell, them, just tell people about that. Easter Sunday, invite three people. And then regular ministry, that's how you own the mission. Are, are you serving? There's a card on your seat that's ways you can get involved, work with kids, work with students, run a camera, work in the coffee house, come here during the week, uh, weed the flower beds. Some of you serve at, the, at different agencies in, this, in the city just as a way to express your faith. It doesn't matter where you do it, just do it. And if you Pareto this, if you Pareto serving, um, that's like two to three hours a week. It's 1.8%. I, I added up that if you, if you wanted to have passionate spirituality, radical community, and deep ownership of the mission, you're talking like 6% of your week. For 6% of your week, would you want a life like that and be a part of a church like that? It only happens if there are people who say, we're going to put this on the screen, I want you to read this aloud with me. And we're going to stand and read it together. Would you do this? We're going to be done. Thanks for being, staying with me. Read this aloud, okay? I want this to be true of you. It's true of me. I want it to be true of you. This is my church. I love it. I'll do whatever has to be done to ensure it's here and reaching the next generation. Oh, God, 
I pray that this would not be words that fall on the ground here. There are, there are people who give themselves, thank you for them, that they are already on this path. I pray that today what people will hear through your spirit is a path to passionate spirituality, to radical community, to deep ownership of mission, to a church that makes a difference for this generation and the generation to come. Oh God, we want to be part of that. And so for our church to be like that, we know we have to be like that. And so we want to be like that. We want to be done with playing church. We want to be done with checking off a religious box. We want to be done with just being a spiritual person. We want you at the center of our life, at the center of our choices, at the center of our family, at the center of the reason we do everything. We want you to be the hub that our life spins around. And so, Jesus, as we do that, I know you will honor us. So thank you for this church. Thank you for these people that you have called out of darkness and into your marvelous light. Now, do something beautiful with what we are committing to you today. We pray this in your name and all God's people said, amen. You're sitting out of love, God, love people, serve the world. Hug somebody, tell me you love them. Thanks for staying.